Welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. Our reading is from first the book of Genesis, which gives us a good portion of the story, the saga of Noah. Noah is in that roll call of faith that we've been looking at in Hebrews 11. We'll go there next, and then we'll hear some of the words of Christ along the same lines. Beginning first, of course, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then in Hebrews 11, our text, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then hear the admonition of the Lord. As were the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's review. The roll call of faith. First, Abel. Abel believed God. By faith he offered a more acceptable sacrifice than did his brother Cain, and Abel was killed. 
persecuted for righteousness' sake, martyred for the cause of Christ. Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, Enoch walked with God. By faith, he lived a life that was godly among the ungodly, and he was taken up. Now Noah. Noah lived a righteous life among an unrighteous people. And he was saved, alive from the judgment of God, he and his family. And then he died. Which one of these scenarios do you think will be your life story? Will you be persecuted for righteousness sake and die a martyr's death? Will you live to see the coming of the Lord in which you will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Or will you live a whole 950 years, well, figuratively speaking, a good long life, be saved from the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and then die and be raised again for all eternity? More than likely, the third scenario will be the course of our lives. This is one of the great sagas in the Old Testament, this great story just filled with an enormous amount of teaching. But I believe, as I think most of you probably do, that the story we read about Noah is literal history. It actually happened. There was actually a man, Noah. These events did take place, and there was actually a universal flood and he and his family were saved from that flood through the means of an ark that he had constructed. And then some interesting things happened. We're going to move along. We're not going to spend any time on Noah. Today is the only day we look at Noah, so there's a lot of things we need to mention without going in. But if you just think about it in a minute, what happened is God had created all things, all flesh. And as we looked at last week, it had become so sinful that it was just beyond description. We read that one uh, verse in uh, the previous chapter, in chapter, uh, in the previous passage in chapter six, where it's talking about the wickedness. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Inveterate depravity had infected the race. Men and women, generation after generation, were born into that same sinful condition into which Adam had fallen after his great sin in the garden. But it wasn't just that. They had gone away from the face and the presence of God, and Cain's generation had spent their entire life spans apart from God. God raised up a new seed in Seth. And Seth's generation is the generation that we read about now as we come through chapter 5 and into chapter 6 and beyond. The restoration of the chosen, the elect, the sons of God by adoption 
And alas, even this lineage had been born in sin and continued to multiply the depravity, to compound the sin, to intensify the violence and the tyranny. And the description given there in very poetic language is that of a tyrannical government. Men had risen to great power and they had begun to do something other than what God had commanded in the garden. God had told Adam to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it and to keep it and to protect it. In failing to subdue the earth because of the enormity of the curse upon the ground, mankind began to have dominion over other mankind, other humans. And so there was a massive imbalance and a massive inequity in the way God, in the way men were living as opposed to the way God had planned it. Men began to live according to their own lust. It was not enough to calculate what God's purposes were upon earth and be a part of the dominion over the earth and to marry with equal yoking and to produce children of godly seed and have an offspring for the glory of God. No, instead men pursued their lust and they were marrying and giving and marrying and nothing but constant fleshly desires came about. And there's an interesting little phrase here that the narrator gives us, quotes the Lord saying, my spirit shall not abide in men forever. Uh, the word, that's probably a good translation, the word means a scabbard or a, a sheath for a sword. In other words, the spirit of God is in man like a sword is in the sheath. There's a dwelling. God had breathed into the nostrils of Adam, the spirit, and he became a living soul, a nephesh in the image of God, created in the image of God. But through the continuing generations of the descending depravity and decadence, what had happened? The Lord says, my spirit, and also this word can also be seen as, and you can picture the picture of that of a sword, contention. It says, my spirit will not always contend, always having to work against, always having to discipline like the sword that the angels would swing in the garden to guard the gates and to protect the tree of life. God says, I'm, my spirit will not always be constantly, constantly in every case contending with mankind about his sin. God's beginning to say, if you'll pardon me, I don't mean to be irreverent, but God is beginning to say, I've had it bowed up to here with the sinfulness. And here's one of the saddest phrases anywhere in the, in the Bible. My spirit will not always strive with man, for he is flesh. Bashar in the Hebrew, he's flesh. 
Oh, God had created us to be more than flesh, to just be sensual and to just be natural and to just go about pursuing those things that, that come by our animal nature. But rather God had created us in His image and we were to be a soul in the image of God, reflecting and mirroring God's nature and doing God's work and following God and obeying God and loving God and walking with God in the cool of the evening and enjoying the presence of the Lord. That's what God created it all. That's why God did that. And now he looked out and look what he saw. Bible says he observed. God did a, a very serious empirical observational study upon what he had created. And his conclusion was they've become absolutely fleshly. In fact, animal-like in their behavior, following their own lusts, their own desires, their own instincts, taking the incredible intelligence that I have given them and darkening it into idolatry and into a willful neglect of the image and the study and the gazing upon the Lord, but instead had turned to all kinds of other objects of worship. Taking the magnificent creativity that I had given them, I made them in my own image and that involved creativity and they are now coming up with all kinds of devices all kinds of perverted ways to torture, to enslave, to abuse one another. One of the saddest things you read about in the prior part of the chapter was one of the descendants of Cain bragged. He said, I have taken two wives, the beginning of polygamy. They knew the order that God had given was one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And Lamech had moved in that direction of perverting and changing what God had ordered. It's no surprise that same man sang a song a bit boastful of his ferocity in killing a man. He was also a murderer. And that's something after you break one of God's commandments, you go on and you break another before you know it. And before long, you're just guilty of it all. If you know your heart, that's the, that's the downward steps of depravity. It's like gravity. It pulls us down, down, down. And that's what's going on here. We've become just like the animals. In fact, even the godly line of Seth had begun to despair of the sinful condition of humanity. In fact, when little baby Noah was born, I love to emphasize all the little babies in the Bible. You know, little baby Moses, you know, little baby Isaac, little baby Noah, ah, little baby Jesus. They're there. When God wants to do something, He, gets, he starts with a baby and goes from there. That's why I don't think God's real happy with abortion. He wants those babies. 
An abortion says to God, I will not be fruitful and multiply. I will not replenish the earth. I will not obey your commandments. I will not do what you put me here on earth to do. God started with this little baby Noah, and when he was born, Lamech, his father, fathered a son, and he called his name Noah. The word Noah means relief, alleviation. Lamech longed and hoped for someone that would give some relief from the sin and the depravity and the darkness and the violence that was upon the planet. And he named his little boy that, being prophetic. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There's a sense in which Noah was the seed of promise. There was a, a little bit of a messianic expectation to the birth of Noah. And as it worked out, the, our text tells us something about Noah. There in uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it said, the generations of Noah, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Interestingly enough, these, the word that's translated generation is two different words in the Hebrew, the first one, and I think the NIV gets it right. He calls it the account or the life's history. This is the life history of Noah. It's going to tell the story of Noah. It's going to tell something about Noah. It's going to tell us enough that the writer of Hebrews is going to be able to summarize the life of Noah and his faith in one verse. But it says, these are the generations of the life history the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. The word there is translated in his times or in his age, in his epoch of history. He lived 950 years, just short of a millennium. He lived six, 500 years before having his family. He lived uh, 100 years of preaching and, and warning about the coming of the flood. And then he lived 600. Then he lived 350 years beyond that, total of 950 years. That's quite a generation. That's quite a lifespan. And there's a lot to the story of Noah that we don't have time to go into today, which once again will discourage us when we think of the awfulness of sin. But in this case, God had said something that was very interesting. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every invention of his thoughts and his hearts were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he grieved him. To his heart. Now, this language, of course, is anthropopathetic. <laughs> it has to do with the passions and the pathos of humanity attributed to God, but in his image, anthropomorphisms are not all that far off. And they help us understand, and the writer here is letting us know how the Lord felt. We know how the Lord thinks. We know how the Lord acts. This is how the Lord felt. One of the saddest things in the Bible says God repented. That meant He changed His mind. He was sorry, the text says, that He had even created man. Isn't that something? God's repenting, and we're not. We're not repentant. 
but the Lord is. Because the Lord knew the purposes He had. He knew the thoughts He had of us. They were thoughts of good and not of evil. They were thoughts of prosperity and not of paucity. God had in mind a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful creation that would praise Him and bring glory to Him, that would have fellowship with Him. And He missed something. Adam had walked with God. Enoch had walked with God. And now what does it say about Noah? Noah walked with God. Here was a man after God's own heart. And let me, here's the explanation for it, found in verse 8 of the previous chapter, I mean the previous paragraph. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And here we have the mix that is the proper mix for Christian living. Favor is grace. And grace was bestowed upon him. Had it not been for grace, Noah would have been just like everybody else in his age. It was God's grace bestowed upon him. In the eyes of the Lord, it's the way the Lord looked at him. It's the way the Lord favored him. The Lord blessed him and kept him. He made his face to shine upon him. Noah was saved by grace. And part of that mix is faith. He believed God. We saw a few weeks ago that faith is the evidence of things not seen. The flood was not seen. It was not anticipated. It had never happened on planet Earth. There had never been a flood. There had never been any really good rain. And Noah believed the generation that he lived in scoffed. He lived in a scoffing, disbelieving, unrepentant generation. Can you see how the grace of God that is poured out upon us makes us different from the world around about us? That's why when the Lord implored His people to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. And the, the dire warnings of the Lord was, I'm going to destroy all flesh. You want to be flesh? You want to return back to the ground? The Lord says, I'm going to do that. And here we have not only grace and faith, but we have obedience. Noah believed God, and he obeyed God and built an ark. Presumption would have been the Lord said, I'm going to save you. And Noah said, well, okay, I'm going to be saved by grace. I don't have to do a thing. <laughs> I can just sit here and wait for God to save me by grace, by faith alone. No, he obeyed God, and he knew what that meant. I love the way the New Testament writer reminds us. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. That's the way God 
is to be responded to is with fear, a reverential, holy, righteous fear. The fear of the Lord says, God prophesied, He promised, He's going to do it. And here we have the preaching of the most dire judgment of God that humanity had ever seen before and has ever seen since. The destruction of all of mankind by a worldwide flood, a deluge. Actually, if you think, look at the language, it's interesting. If you look through the whole thing, it's kind of a going back to the old creation when the waters covered the earth. And it was chaos. And it was death. And it was darkness. There's a sense in which the world coming out of the flood as the water subsided and the Lord began to separate the sea from the dry land again and the creatures began to appear. And all of that is it's like a regeneration. It is what Paul would call the washing of regeneration. It's a renewed creation. And there's a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels you'll see between the two. We don't have time to mention, but I think you, you can think of them for yourself. The sternest warning that God had ever given the human race, and He's not going to give any sterner warning to us than what He gave to them in the days of Noah. He promises us that. The oracle of God, the sheer Word of God, is to be believed, to be respected and feared, and to be obeyed of the coming judgment. And when Jesus wanted to make a reference to the coming judgment, the end time judgment, the great last day, the final judgment. He references Noah and the days of the flood. But in the same breath in which the Lord is breathing out edicts like things like this, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Listen to this. God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Hear these serious and dire warnings from the Lord. And then in the next breath, He says, Make yourself an ark. Oh, that's what our God does in the midst of the hottest fires of judgment. He makes a way of escape. He brings a Savior. He provides for us in the most hostile moments of wrath. He brings us a Savior. And that's what the ark was. I'd love to talk about the ark. <laughs> Some of the mechanics and the hydraulics of the flood and all those things is really very interesting study. But that's really not the ultimate point. The ultimate point, God warns you about judgment. He takes your sin seriously. He sends the oracle, the prophet, to tell you to flee from the wrath to come. And except ye repent, you will all likewise perish. That's not the words of Noah. That's not my words. Those are the words of Christ. Except ye repent, you will all likewise perish. <laughs>